I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Governor DeSantis and big tech. Russ Vogt, president of Center for American Restoration, joins me. It's going to be a great topic. Wrong Think Update and Second Trump Impeachment Trial. I have a great point to share with you. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk. Today we're going to go a bit out of order. I'll do my first five after the upcoming interview. We're going to start our show today with an interview we have a gentleman joining us by phone in just a moment, Russ Vogt, V-O-U-G-H-T Vogt. He is the president and founder of a new organization in Washington, Center for American Restoration. And I have to tell you, all you listeners who email me and put messages up uh, on all sorts of social media saying, tell us what to do, tell us something we can do. This is what Russ Vogt is going to do. He's giving people who love this country, who love the constitutional structure of our country, the guarantee of liberty, the very America of our founding, giving us a path forward at this time when so many people in America are concerned about what we do to save, to hold on to America. So Russ vote very quickly. Um, he joined, he worked in the Trump White House. He joined the Office of Management and Budget, OMB. When President Trump took office, he served as the director of the OMB for nearly two years. Uh, first acting and then uh, finally confirmed by the Senate. Uh, we can go to the story in that point, but we'll leave that confirmation process alone. He was a member of the president's cabinet, responsible for overseeing the implementation of the president's policy, management, and deregulatory agendas across the executive branch. Prior to that, Russ worked in Washington, D.C., uh, with a variety of grassroots and public policy organizations, worked for seven years, and this is where I met him. He is vice president of Heritage Action for America. So a true patriot, great thinker, has left the Trump White House, and now is the founder and president of a group that he's going to tell us all about, Center for American Restoration. So without further ado, hi, Russ. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me on your show. So glad you could join me today. And I have to tell you, I was telling you before we came on air, I have so many people who write notes or comments saying, you know, I understand all these things are going wrong. What do we do? Give us something to do. How do we, you know, give us hope, give us a path to do something. So you had, oh, by the way, for our listeners, uh, I want to uh, direct your attention before we dive into it, direct your attention to a great uh, piece written by Russ Vogt and it appeared on the American uh, Federalist, uh, thefederalist.com. It's called How to Lead the United States into an American Spring. And it's about this organization. And on our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down list of links. We've linked this article. I urge you to read it, give you a much fuller description of the organization Russ has founded. But without further ado, I'm going to start, Russ, by asking you, tell our listeners, please, what this new organization, Center for American Restoration, is all about. Absolutely. Thank you, Debbie. One of the things that we want to do, given that we are so divided as a country right now, uh, we're so split, and it's to uh, restore a political consensus in this country that we are a nation that is under God, that we have unique interests as a country that flow from our people, our institutions, and our history, and that our individual freedoms are enjoyed in the context of healthy communities and just laws. 
we boil that down to say for God, for country, and for community, and we believe that that is a banner for what we have been fighting for these last four years and, and really four to six years of the America First agenda. Um, unfortunately, we don't want to go back to the way it was where the establishment and others in D.C., the Beltway, got to set the agenda based on uh, things that were not necessarily front and center on the minds of the American people. We believe that people's families, their their communities, uh, the health of their, uh, uh, their local areas, their school districts, their ability to participate in, in, in uh, the economic uh, revitalization that, that needs to occur in this country once again, unfortunately. These are the things that are front and center in people's minds, and we want to be able to have a, a center that's thinking through it, providing on the from an activist standpoint, uh, an opportunity to participate in the political process now. Uh, now is the time where we save our country. Uh, we, if, if we wait too long, uh, we won't have a country anymore. And so, but at the same time, we also want to engage in the, in the, in the area of ideas and convince people, um, convince our neighbors, convince people in, our, in our, our kids' schools to be able to articulate why they have a different worldview that leads them to believe things uh, that is fundamentally contrary to ours. We have a belief that there is a a, a permanent majority co coalition of, of of people out there that will sign up for for God, for country, and for community if they have the right art, uh, right arguments, and the right policies. And you know, honestly, think Debbie, you've been out there on this in in this rate this particular radio show uh, along those same lines of trying to bring the people together and and encouraging. Uh, the kind of dialogue that will allow us to be able to move forward. So, um, you know, this is both short term and it's long term. Uh, we've got a Biden administration that's putting policies in place and unraveling Trump policies that we were confronted But we also want to build for the long term to be able to convince and restore a consensus in this country about what has made America great. I love that. And I'm going to say the article I mentioned to my listeners that, uh, again, is called How to Lead the United States into an American Spring. Even the very beginning, this is an article by you in The Federalist, even the very beginning of it was really uh, it caught my attention because what you're acknowledging is, you know, uh, without talking about President Trump's particular presidency and agenda, we, we saw just a just a, a spark, a freshness uh, in the American public's thought about what America means, the importance of America, the uniqueness of America, the, the role of the citizens to be active as a sovereign in America. You, you talk about in the very beginning of your article, the establishment wants to move beyond Trump and return to business as usual, where powerful interests have an outsized voice in setting the agenda, uh, et cetera. And then you also talk about even the center-right movement in the Beltway uh, and the commentariat, I love that word, commentariat, is ready to revert to their pre-Trump agenda, robotically extending America's interest to the outskirts of the globe, tinkering at the margins of an ever-expanding welfare state. I mean, you captured, you're a very good writer, by the way, but you captured so many things that are going on in people's minds as we saw this just refreshing new um, renewal of love of America. And even if you don't want to call it the Trump agenda, because it's not, it's beyond Trump, it's just the America agenda. So you're really talking about not letting uh, the forces of reverting to how things were before the Trump presidency, not letting those take hold, but instead extending and renewing and uplifting the ideas that have become common and become popular uh, under the Trump agenda. 
Is that accurate summary? That is accurate? that is entirely accurate. You you really uh, nailed what we're trying to do, and we're we we want to make sure that you know when that first of all, there's a voice in Washington D.C. for men and women across the country that have these these viewpoints, and 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 in our sense is that. Uh, there needed to be an organization to be able to provide a home and and institutionalize these. These are really important to to institutionalize the the work that's been done in these ideas and give them a home uh, over the long time. And our hope is that there, we have many many allies in this space and and we're you know we're hard at work with others to do this. But um, yeah, I, I've sensed it ever since um, it was clear the president was not going to be in office for another four years, Debbie, in the sense of. Um, you know, some in the center right movement just almost breathing a sigh of relief in terms of, you know, now we can start talking about uh, staying in Afghanistan or uh, now we can go back to talking about, um, uh, you know, uh, market absolutism or, you know, spending cuts. And again, I support spending cuts. You know, it's me. And I put it in yeah. my article. Um, but I also think that we've got to think it through, not necessarily for what our ideology is, but what is front and center right now for the American people. And I believe that is uh, people across the country are worried. They're worried that they're going to be canceled. They're worried about their ability to participate in the in the political uh, sphere because of, of, of you know, getting uh, uh, big tech, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, uh, pulling down their ability to participate. So those are the things that are we, we've got it, election security, getting more voter integrity laws on the books. All of these things are 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 vital, uh, and that doesn't mean we don't get to the things that I'm I'm obviously very passionate about limiting the size and the scope of the federal government. But I also think we got to think through where is the fight right now, respond to that fight, uh, and be able to uh, ensure that we are uh, bringing a, a a conservative and American dialogue to that those important issues where the left has uh, decided that they're going to push us right now here now. Okay, Russ, I have to tell you, I don't know if what I'm about to say is going to be viewed as a compliment or a criticism, but I have to tell you, the Washington Post, never the friend of conservatives, Washington Post had a caption, an opinion piece, Russ vote could help give conservative populism the intellectual heft it needs. And I love the, the title, and I was going to say, uh, that was my same sense of it when I was first hearing from you all about what you were doing that there is a, an America first agenda or a restoration of America that had it brought you know millions of people into the voting booth for the first time in many years in 2016. It brought activism, it, it built the Trump rallies, but the idea of building it, this, I thought it was a great caption, intellectual heft, giving kind of meat and potatoes and depth and substance and a means of going forward to further this kind of American renewal populist agenda. So I don't know if you, you were, if you knew you were the subject of praise by the Washington Post, but it was a great point about what you were doing. No, it was a great article. I mean, I think one of the things that I've realized over the last four years is the president came along and tapped into something that was out there in the American consciousness that was on voters' minds. But in some respects, it, 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 it was a countercultural to longstanding uh, ways that we had previously defined conservatism. And when that ever happens, that can create a lot of tension. And what is needed is to be able to go back to first principles and to work through those, uh, those policies and agenda and put them squarely in the, the 
the historical mainstream of conservatism, which I believe that there is a place for these policies and this agenda, and then to think, so that's that's what you do to, to square away the intellectual moorings. But then you've got to go forward and to think through from a policy agenda, what is needed to be able to uh, accomplish your goals and to put those into laws and then to execute them in the federal government. And coming from the president's cabinet, we had to do a lot of this within government and that's never idea uh, ideal. So I want us to be thinking through what is the next administration that shares these viewpoints? Do they have operational ready-made plans from day one to execute? So then when a president's trying to get uh, end an endless war in Afghanistan, he doesn't have to wait for three years to be able to come up with something. When he's trying to deal with a, a caravan coming um, along the border that's leading to human trafficking, we don't have to pull together four different policies that we made work. Unfortunately, Biden's tearing down those policies today. Um, but that work needs to be done in or organizations and infrastructure that we're trying to build at the Center for American Restoration. I love that. I will tell our listeners, first of all, to go and learn more about this. The website is AmericanRestorationCenter.com. AmericanRestorationCenter.com. We're talking to Russ Vogt, who is a president and founder of this Center for American Restoration. But you also mentioned in your article um, and a moment ago that in addition to the center that's going to translate these profoundly important ideas into practical policies, ready ready made ready for the next uh, uh, next administration who could put them into place you're also going to have an activist organization american restoration action a c4 so i know it's not up and running yet but is that a way that people could get involved in supporting you once that's up and running is to find out it through this or this american restoration action what they can do to help is that the idea of that that's the idea and what our hope is there is that member that uh, activists will uh be able to contribute in any way that they are able to um, from the standpoint of, of grassroots activity and building relationships with their member of Congress and making sure that the, their member of Congress has both the support and the, the, the uh, mainline connection to the, the grassroots to be able to know what is on your hearts, your minds, and to be able to in, get involved in the political process. And, and uh, I have some experience in, in, in helping build grassroots networks, and we're looking forward to being able to put uh, what we've learned to, to build these kind of relationships directly with, with, with activists and with the members of Congress themselves to be able to uh, make sure that these fights are occurring in Congress and to make sure that when members of Congress take the field that they feel the support and they're prepared and and. Uh, to be able to uh, move forward and, and be true champions on these issues. Okay, I, I would mention, when I did your introduction, Russ, I meant to say to our listeners, I want to say it now. Someone of Russ votes history in Washington, years of experience working in grassroots organizations, actual experience in the White House, on the cabinet, uh, President Trump's cabinet, and, and heading up Office of Management and Budget, it's almost impossible to overstate to you, my listeners, how many how important this is for a, a sense of clarity and purpose and movement, taking the populist ideas or the pro-America ideas that Trump, President Trump articulated and were so popular and translating them and giving them a way to move forward into future policy. Russ has a, 
a very, uh, the word intellectual always sounds very left wing, so I hate to say that word, but you have a very <laughs> strong intellectual reputation in Washington among serious conservative thinkers, serious leaders. There's, there's just a great deal of excitement among genuine, uh, well-informed activists in Washington that to have a new organization headed up by Rush Vote heading down this path. It's just great news. So it's a great news thing you've, do, you've done. And again, I'll tell our listeners to go. They can actually follow you. Um, I think you're, uh, you ha we have uh, uh, for Twitter, at Russ, R-U-S-S uh, underscore vote, V-O-E-G-H-T. We have AmericanRestorationCenter.com. This information is also on our website. And Russ, I thank you so much for being available to join me today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Debbie. Really, really appreciate it. Great talking to you, sir. Okay, I'm honoring our time. We said... Well, time's up. Okay. So, friends, this is, I really am not understating when I tell you that people that I've known for years in Washington who are very serious, very earnest, very deep thinkers are so excited about this. And again, the quick thing of taking the Trump passion for America, goodness of America, love of the American ideals and founding ideals, and giving them a place, a home in Washington to move forward with, and then developing policies that will be available for people in, in Congress and the Senate and a future president to carry them forth, that carry forth these ideas and to give activists a place to be active. The C4 isn't quite rolling yet, but it will be. And so I urge you, if you're interested in being more active, you don't have to live in the Washington DC area. You can be right at home wherever you are and they'll have something for you, the lovers of American liberty to do uh, through this organization. So, so glad Russ could join me today. Okay. Now, this is my first five, which isn't really first, but I want to hit a quick thing about Florida Governor DeSantis. You know, there's already talk. We're only, here we are in the, barely into February of 2021. And of course, people are thinking about, you know, the next presidency, the next uh, presidential race in 2024. One of the big uh, names being thrown around by people, serious, earnest conservatives, to get uh, hold of the White House again, uh, is the Florida governor named Governor DeSantis. He among many things, has shown how it, what it is to be a real conservative leader, meaning that he has been among the most open states of all. He quickly got away from the rapid shutdown COVID um, mandates that were popular and trendy around the country, soon realizes we can't function this way. Florida has been open. Florida has been open for business. They have been free of mask mandates. They have life ongoing there. So this was viewed as a strong leadership step by him. He also gave a short speech recently, actually a lengthy speech, I have a short clip from it, uh, taking on the role of big tech and its interference with the rights and freedoms of Florida citizens. So I sent Matt, the very wonderful producer, a quick clip uh, of Governor DeSantis I wanted to play for you. Floridians should have the privacy of their data and personal information protected. Their ability to access and participate in online platforms protected and their ability to participate in elections free from interference from big tech protected. What began as a group of upstart technology companies from the West Coast has since transformed into an industry of monopoly communications platforms that monitor, influence, and control the flow of information in our country and among our citizens. And they do that to an extent hitherto unimaginable. These companies exert monopoly power over a centrally important forum of public discourse and the access of information that Floridians rely on. It used to be that consumers were trusted to make their own decisions about what information to consume, about which leaders to quote follow, about what news to watch. 
Now those decisions are increasingly made by nameless, faceless boards of censors. They even have a name, euphemistically called content moderators. And we're told that these are private companies and that those who disagree with their decisions to regulate content and even suppress content can simply choose other services. Well, when 2.8 million Americans chose to download the application Parler and share information with friends, family, and colleagues, what was the result of that? Canceled by Amazon, Google, and Apple. What about the 88 million Americans who chose to, quote, follow President Donald Trump? Sorry, content moderators on Twitter pulled the plug, as did a different set of, quote, moderators at Facebook. This is the case even though leaders like Ayatollah Khamenei have been permitted to use these platforms to do things like call for the destruction of Israel and the elimination of Jews. Okay, folks, well, I'm so excited about this. This is Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, really one of the top contenders in the view of many conservatives as a potential presidential candidate. But he didn't just scold them. That was a good little clip there. He had many other great little clips I could have grabbed. But he's actually talking about doing something about it. So he's made proposals suggesting fines of $100,000 a day for deplatforming political candidates, as well as daily fines for any company that uses their content and user-related algorithms to suppress or prioritize the access of any content related to a political candidate or a cause on the ballot. He's also calling for people, citizens, users of uh, social media, to be able to opt out of content algorithms. This is a great thing, requiring modification of changes in terms of service and providing the right of citizens to take legal action if the conditions they choose are violated. He announced that under his policy, the Florida Attorney General will be empowered to bring cases against tech companies under the Unfair and Deceptive Practices Act. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm enthused about this because this is real, actual, adult conservative leadership. It is somebody saying, you know what, instead of just wringing our hands and complaining, why don't we actually put pressure on these companies? Instead of waiting for Washington, D.C., that apparently is never going to do anything to these, these uh, social media companies that in many cases people viewed drove the elections, confused listeners, silenced conservative voices. He's saying, you know, forget about Washington ever changing, doing anything in terms of amending or repealing Section 230. Why don't we use state law and go after them? I love the, I love the feel. I love the incentive. It has that American, you have a right to free speech, and the right to free speech includes online, and it includes the right of people to be able to hear what they want to hear. This is a great thing using state law, Florida state law, moving forward. This is Ron DeSantis. Honest to goodness, folks, he might be one of our best contenders for president in 2024. Okay, the next thing I wanted to hit today, um, so first of all, I want, if you didn't hear the in interview, if you're just tuning in, I really want to make sure you listen to the interview, Russ vote. It was very, very good. But I call it the next thing wrong think update. And I want to just talk to you about why I say that, because I'm going to use this term more. For those of you who have never read the book 1984, by George Orwell. Great, great, great book. And he wrote it in 1948. He chose the title by flipping the last two digits of the year, you know, wrote it in 1948, called 1984. And he basically was talking about writing about a society, I think it was called Oceana, but the gist of it was he was writing about a country or a, a society where government controls what you think, 
Government controls what you know. Government controls truth, or it announces what truth is. So he, so this, this author, I mean, it's just a brilliant, brilliant um, book. And one of the things he does in this book is he runs through the various ministries that this government would have in place, with the government trying to essentially control everything through the power of the government. So he has one term he has is called double think. It's basically the whole idea of is to uh, contradictions of terms like they have the ministry of peace is concerned with war. The ministry of truth is about lies. It confuses your ability to think. And so you, you just end up saluting to and thinking whatever the government tells you you're supposed to think. And therefore, because they can tell you what you are supposed to think, they can tell you what you're not supposed to think and what you're not supposed to talk about. So pretty soon, society's conversation and actual thought is controlled by the government. It's the point of this Orwell, the many, many things he writes about. And obviously, since the time you had, certainly when President Obama uh, came along, you had more and more Americans saying, wow, We've kind of arrived, you know, 1984 is here. The George Orwell's 1984 is here. Um, in terms of the way the government controls communication, controls thought, and decides what is okay to think and what is not okay to think. They had in this particular book, and this George Orwell, if you haven't read it, you really should. It's a very quick read, entertaining, and honestly, many, many of the phrases they use a leap off the page. They have a ministry of truth. And the ministry of truth is actually a ministry of propaganda, is telling people what they have to think, what they may think, what they must think, what they cannot think, and most certainly what they can't say. You can't think some things the government has now told you you can't think. And so, I mean, I could go on a very entertaining book. I can't recall if it made into a movie or not, but very good book. But I wanted to say about where we are right now in dealing with a bunch of topics in America. We are being told by the left, essentially, what you can talk about and what you can't talk about. So, for example, we in this country, I did not grab the clip, but I'll just tell you on this wrong think update, one of the things the government, and when I say in America, it's not really just the government, it's the government in Washington locking arms with the social media giant companies that Governor DeSantis was just talking about, deciding what may be talked about and what may not be talked about. One of the rules now coming out of the government in Washington and out of the social media companies is the idea no one is allowed anymore to talk about election fraud. No one's allowed to discuss whether or not there was electronic manipulation of voter tabulation software. No one's allowed to talk about vote switching. Any mention of election fraud will get you punished on most social media sites, get you taken down. And there were different, uh, very, very conservative, very popular writers on Twitter, other places, because they made reference to election fraud, they were taken down and told, Sorry, you can't talk about that. It's one of the things that this monolithic, and this is why it's so dangerous in America, this monolithic, uh, massive entity, the combined power of the federal government, and now the social media giants, all on the same side of the left, all leftists, all deciding what America may think and say. And people become afraid of speaking because they don't want to be, they don't want to run counter 
to either the government and the new, as we talked about a couple of days ago, the Department of Homeland Security is now grotesquely exaggerating and, and embellishing the definition of domestic terrorism. Very easy to read what they're saying as domestic terrorism includes anybody who dares to challenge anything that the administration stands for. Anyone who challenges the validity of the election, anyone who challenges uh, the validity and the victory of President uh, Biden and his, his, uh, the election in, 2000, in 2020. It's beginning to bec become, you're gonna be defined as a terrorist to even talk about the election and to challenge it. And then social media going along with that. But the quick thing stories I wanna hit on that, uh, one was, you probably all saw the video, but there was uh, a Newsmax interviewer. I don't even know his name. Newsmax, supposedly one of the ones who's, who's stepping away and becoming independent voice to be a challenge to the uh, dominant media culture in this country. So you had uh, some interview, a woman and a man, both at Newsmax. You know, they're interviewing uh, the guy who founded My Pillow, Mike Lindell. So Lindell is sitting there, and the question he was asked was. So, you know, you got taken down by Twitter. You know, what, why do you, what, basically, why were you taken down? Some question like that. So Lindell just launches into describing what he had up on Twitter that was being taken down, which he starts to say, you know, I had evidence. I have the actual evidence I've seen, I know of, of electronic manipulation, of election fraud of electronic election fraud. I had information up there. He's starting to describe what he had. You can't even hear what he's saying because as he's speaking, describing what he has, the guy who's the, the Newsmax host is saying, is talking over him. I don't mean like jumping in and saying, hey, wait, wait, wait. I mean like delivering a monologue and talking over my Mr. My Pillow, Mike Lindell. And so, the commentator, the Newsmax host, is saying, well, actually, uh, Mr. Lindell, uh, and he's, you can see he's reading from his statement. He's like, uh, Mr. Lindell, we have now, and he's running through a statement, essentially saying that there's no evidence that electronic uh, vote manipulation happened and that you can't say that about any of, the elect uh, any of the companies involved in the electronic voting machines, either the voting machine companies or the software companies. He, you know, he says some little throwaway, well, of course, there's always some election fraud, but there's no evidence that, and he's running through a prepared statement. Obviously, the policy now of Newsmax, he's reading it as though uh, scolding this Mike Lindell, who's still talking, trying to tell what he, what he put up, which caused him to be taken down by Twitter. And so eventually in this interview, the, the man, the Newsmax guy, I'm sorry, I don't know his name, but the Newsmax host, literally, physically, during the interview, after he's read the pronouncement, thou shalt not speak about election fraud. It is like a, one of the 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak about election fraud. Lindell keeps talking and the host at Newsmax is saying, right, right in the camera, live, saying, Hey, uh, Mr. Is there a producer around here? A producer? Can someone get this? I mean, he's, he's appealing to the network to shut down Lindell. That doesn't happen. Lindell is still talking. And so this host actually just got up and walked away on air, live air. It'd be like me just getting up and walking out of the room. I mean, seriously, the level of fear. And I will say, I think probably what's happening with Newsmax is they've been threatened by one or more of the companies whose voting machines or whose uh, software is, is alleged to have been involved in election fraud. So I'm gonna guess those companies, those voting machine companies and the uh, software companies 
are threatening news outlets like Newsmax and saying, you know, if you dare air any stories in which election fraud is discussed, if you dare put it out there, you know, we will sue you. And so Newsmax, other entities like that, they can't afford to be sued. They can't afford litigation. So it's easier just to surrender and to be silenced, to be silenced about the discussion of election fraud. That was one story, this wrong think update. You know, Lindell is still trying to say, I would like to talk about election fraud and you know, Newsmax and pretty much every other outlet saying, never mind, you can't talk about that. Um, there's also, I want to draw your attention again to something really, really important. So we had on the show Patrick Byrne. Um, I don't know when that was, three or four weeks ago. Patrick Byrne has a blog called Deep Capture. Deep Capture. DeepCapture.com, I think it is. But if you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, on today's show, you know, we have, we always have a links up of the stories I talked about. I linked in uh, on our homepage under shows, drop down list of links. I linked in the names of these, uh, the links to the first three of a multi-part series Patrick Byrne is writing on his blog, Deep Capture, where he is summarizing what he knows about the 2020 elections. He was right in the middle of it all with Sidney Powell and Lieutenant General Michael Flynn and President Trump and uh, Rudy Giuliani. He was right in the middle of it all and he is writing out for the American people what he saw and read. And the reason he has to put it on his own blog is because every place else is being forced to take things down. It's being told you can't talk about that, can't talk about election fraud. So I really urge you to read the entire, uh, it's like a magazine length piece and more is coming uh, on the Deep Capture blog by Patrick Byrne. You can find it on our website. But this is where we're getting to. You know, we talk about 1984 and, and thought control and wrong think. You have to go to your own blog to, to put a piece up like this because you know that it'll be taken down if you try to put it someplace else. Also, last quick thing on this, uh, there's a guy, um, a data, they call him a data maven. I don't know um, what, but anyway, a guy who is a, um, a writer, a, uh, an expert who was recently um, able to do a show, a live show um, with, um, I think he was on Steve Bannon's show, named Matthew Brainerd. And Matthew Brainerd just recently again was on a show where he's saying basically he's a mathematician extraordinaire. He's, a, he's a, a data guy. And he's saying that leaving aside all electronic manipulation, all the stories about data being switched in voting machines, even if you just look at invalid ballots, at ballots that were cast that should not have been counted, should not have been permitted, invalid ballots alone, he is saying that in the three states, Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin, if you take out the invalid ballots in those states, there are more of those ballots than the margin of difference of victory for Biden. His point being, you take out the invalid ballots in those states, Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Trump would have won them and therefore won the election. So he's saying, this Matthew Brainerd guy saying, hey, you know, it's right there. You can read this yourself. He's laying out data. Uh, I'll put a link to this story on our website. I am not a data guru. I'm not going to pretend I am. But this is a guy still trying to say, you know, actually, there really was election fraud that leaving aside electronic, just pure out counting invalid ballots. I'm assuming many of them are mail-in ballots that we know that was a whole fiasco. Still putting it out there.
and saying just yesterday, I think he was on, um, or maybe Monday, uh, no, yesterday, on Steve Bannon's show called War Room. And I want, I'm raising this to get around to the last point I want to say today. But to close out this little segment related to wrong think, I could give you a long list of items that the left has deemed untouchable, that we no longer talk about. You're not allowed to ask. It was the same mindset that started under the Clinton presidency when so many scandals arose and the Clinton protectors stepped up right away and they began. That's when the organization MoveOn.org got started. MoveOn.org was basically set as a Clinton protection racket where they would take any story, the latest scandal, and there were so many genuine, legitimate, deeply troublesome scandals during the Clinton presidency. But they, they did this psychological operation on America where the scandal would come out and the Clinton team would have some answer, either uh, you know denial or we're looking into that, we'll get back to you. And then within a couple of days at the most, the press, the, even then the subservient liberal press always willing to put the left's view of everything out as though it is objective news, the press would start with, can you just move on? Seriously, you're still talking about the FBI files that the White House absconded with? Seriously, we've already talked about that. Now, mind you, they never answered, they never explained, they never came clean. They would just say, hey, you're talking about a story. That is last year's news, that's last week's news. We've already solved it, move on. That mentality that says, we never have to answer, we never have to explain, because we control the way the media speaks, started at least in the Clinton era, even maybe even before that. But this is the same kind of operation they're engaged in right now in dealing with, electron, with all of the election fraud question. The answer of election fraud is that you're not allowed to talk about that. We've already had that discussion. We're done. Biden won. The end. No one can talk about it. That is the argument of the left. They just said, we're done and, and no one can talk about it anymore. So I urge you to read the article. This guy's still making the argument. But ties in well to the last point I wanted to make and last topic I wanted to hit today. And this has to do, it's called the second Trump impeachment trial. And I want to tell you a really, really important thought to keep in mind about this. So starting Monday is the Senate trial for uh, the second impeachment of Donald Trump. Starting Monday. And there have been a lot of stories about a little bit of upset in the Trump uh, legal team and who's going to represent him and people joining the team, people quitting the team. And the argument being made that, you know, the primary, in fact, the, the position now out there, the primary defense of the president should be that it is unconstitutional to move forward with this Senate trial because the president's out of office. He's a private citizen. You can't impeach private citizens. So he was, to be precise, he was impeached by the House, which is the Constitution. The House has the power to impeach. The Senate has the power to remove. But once he's been impeached by the House and now he's out of office, he's not being removed from anything. It's not actually designed to remove him. It is designed to further sully, put another peg in the coffin of the Trump presidency and everything he stood for. This is the reason that this Trump trial is going forward. And the reason that there is so much um, attention to it and determination by the left is they see this as a means 
of continuing to just destroy the uh, Trump presidency to tell his followers, his supporters, you know what? Nothing left here. He's been destroyed. He's done. He has no, uh, this will be his legacy. The only president ever impeached twice. This will be his legacy. And among the things they're trying to move to, to impeach him over um, is, I'm sorry, I want to find this one little article I have. I don't have it. Anyway, he wa- one thing they want to impeach him over is the um, idea that he, inc- I mean, the, re- the main impeachment article was that he incited the uh, the violence at the Capitol on January 6th. This is what the second impeachment charge was. Trump incited the riot on January 6th. This is their argument, that he incited the riot, and therefore, because he incited the riot, you know, he, uh, he endangered the House members, he endangered the entire House, so he put everything, in, and, and that it was that they are saying is the second, and tr- they're calling it the impeachable offense. But one of the battles Trump has had among the lawyers who are representing him is this question of, well, what should he present as his defense? Should he present, you know, just, you can't impeach me, I'm not in office anymore, which is one, you know, um, one defense, um, and that they should be resol- that should be resolved. But assuming that the trier of fact, uh, who is a Democrat, Patrick Leahy, is not going to let, he's not going to kick the case out of the Senate Based on that, he's going to let it go forward. So then you have the president having to defend himself to the, against the charge that he incited the riot. Now, as we've been over many times, everything the president said in his speech that day, in January 6th in Washington, there's no clip they can pull because he didn't say, hey, go attack the Capitol. Go, you know, he didn't say that. He said, peacefully and patriotically, let your views be known or let, let, you, uh, let them know what you think peacefully, patriotically. And if for any other kind of clip, you gotta know they'd be going wild playing it. But I wanna to get to this really important point. People have been battling and arguing on kind of the you know, online sources about whether or not Trump should get to present as a defense in this impeachment trial that he really was, uh, that there really was election fraud, that he really was the victim of election fraud. Now, if you go back to what the, def- what the plaintiffs are saying, what the Democrats are saying is, well, Trump didn't impeach, he didn't incite this riot by saying, let's go riot. But the very point the Democrats are making is, Trump incited the riots because he kept on saying that the election was stolen. He kept on saying there was election fraud. He kept on arguing that election fraud was the problem. This is the argument that Democrats are making. Their very point of their entire impeachment is Trump's, the conduct he engaged in that constitutes inciting to riot is that he kept saying in his his speeches that the election was stolen, that there was fraud, and and that he actually won. And so they're, they're saying this made his supporters so wound up and angry that they stormed the Capitol. So back to Trump's defense. Some Trump lawyers apparently were refusing to present as a defense in the impeachment trial whether or not there was election fraud. They were arguing, yeah, you know, you can't be talking, President Trump, 
about election fraud, uh, that's not relevant here. You're being impeached. And the question is, you know, can you impeach a, a, a former president, a private citizen, and do your words constitute incitement? But the very fact, my friends, that the de Democrats are saying the reason they can claim Trump incited this riot was because he kept on saying there was election fraud, the election was stolen. They are putting that question, it's a question of fact, in this very hearing. And therefore, the president has every right to present the defense that says, but it's true. There was election fraud. It was stolen. I do get to put this evidence on the record. Now, obviously, we're looking at a, um, you know, a Senate where that Patrick Leahy is going to be oversee the Senate uh, trial, a removal trial for the president. Uh, Justice John Roberts apparently didn't have, well, I want to start down the path of him. Patrick Leahy is overseeing this. He's the tri he is the judge, so to speak. The jury is the fellow of all the senators. But the idea that you can go after a president and try to remove him based on a charge that he's charged with incitement by saying the election was stolen from me, the election was stolen, there was fraud, but you tell him he can't present that as a defense, but it was stolen. I mean, that is a really, really huge sticking point. I actually wonder if the Democrats are rethinking if they really want to have this. Now, they can say, yeah, you know, we can impeach you, we can try to remove you, and you can't even present the defense that you were right, that the election was being stolen. So you, that, that is, it, it makes it, it's, they're putting that as the question of fact, he should get to defend and, and answer. It's not like, to be very clear, in the law of defamation, if you defame someone or you're accused of defaming someone and you say, you called them, um, you know, a bank robber or something, um, and, and, you know, they sue you because they don't like it. Well, if you really are a bank robber and you, so your defense is, it's not defamatory, it's true. You're a bank robber, here's the proof, therefore I didn't defame you. So truth is a complete uh, defense in defamation cases. But even this kind of case, what Trump is saying is, I'm being accused of having fomented a riot by saying that the election was stolen. I get to present the evidence the election was stolen. I get to present that. So the uh, information that this guy Brainer, this mathematician guy, this statistician who says pure out, taking out illegal ballots in those three states, that's enough to have, um, you know, w to have a Trump victory. Does that information come in? Does the evidence about electronic manipulation, does that get to come into, into trial, into this evidence? Because the idea, if the Senate's actually going to say, yeah, you don't even get to defend yourself, you know, nothing you say counts. The only argument you can make is whether or not um, you know, that we should be able to prosecute a former president, uh, it's going to really, um, it's going to have a stench even more than it does, a stench of a hit job, of an, an evil attack by a scorched earth mindset of the left. They can accuse you, they can impeach you, they can remove you, and you don't even get to defend yourself. I'm actually wondering if the Democrats are kind of rethinking one of this is such a smart idea they do think they can just force it through they're not going to get by the way they're not going to get two-thirds of the Senate to vote to remove them. that's not going to happen well, it's just a mere idea of presenting this they relish the idea of a trial going after trump and i think it's because the democrats live in the beltway bubble in washington and they think the whole country's on board with this they have no idea how angry 
the country is at the idea of impeaching a president for saying to his voters what millions of, of them already believe, which was the election was stolen and we want some recourse. I, I just think it's going to be very interesting to watch next week. We'll, of course, cover that in the show. But, um, okay, wrapping up, I want to say, you know, I, uh, we're going to go to why it matters to you in just a nanosecond here. Um, I want to remind you guys of some really, really important things regarding this show. One, we have a website, americacanwetalk.org. That's the place to watch this show. Please remember, that's the place to watch the show. If you're listening to the show on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, please remember, if it happens to go away on any of those social media platforms, you can always find it at americacanwetalk.org. The show goes out live from there. The show also is now up at Rumble. We're growing our presence on, on the new social media platforms that do not uh, censor people. So we're on rumble.com, we're on gab.com, and we're watching for other, we're, we're on locals.com, we're watching for other websites where we can bring the show to as the social media censorship grows and grows. Also on my website, americacanwetalk.org, you can go to the homepage, hit the subscribe button, get my once a week newsletter, comes out, uh, supposed to be out on Fridays, but we've been a little overwhelmed recently, maybe Saturdays, but once a week newsletter, links to past shows, links to interviews, links to how to find the show in social media, and a great way to share the show with your friends. You subscribe, you forward that email I send to you to anyone you want. Also, I want to tease tomorrow's show. I get a lot of notes from listeners about, I know what's going on is really bad. I understand things are bad. What do we do? How do we help? So tomorrow I have one of the just fabulous Texas state senators Texas State Senator Bob Hall joining me. He is going to go through election integrity legislation that he is bringing forth in the Texas legislature. But I'm raising it for you, my national audience, because what we're doing in Texas, every red state should do. The blue states should do it too if they want election integrity, but they mostly don't. But the red states ought to look at this and do similar things that work in their sets of laws. So tomorrow we have Bob Hall joining us. This is election integrity. You can learn how it works. You can support what he's doing. You can pass it along to legislators in your state saying, hey, why aren't we doing this? This would be a good thing. Push that. I'm also going to have in tomorrow's show a list of many things you can do right now in the comfort of your own home to join in the fight to restore America, to protect America, and to challenge, at least for the future, to try to prevent fraudulent elections from occurring again in America. So great show tomorrow full of how-tos, great interview with Bob Hall coming up, I'm sure. And so with that, I will turn and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show, um, the very beginning today, Governor DeSantis, Ron DeSantis and Big Tech, Florida governor demonstrating forceful leadership, a noticeable breath of fresh air, unafraid to call out Big Tech, intruding on the Floridians' privacy, deciding what people can and cannot know, destroying parlor because they can. <clears throat> Trump had 88 million Twitter followers. What about their rights? Where are their rights? Hiding the story of Hunter Biden's laptop. Would they hide a story about DeSantis's laptop? He actually asked the media that and kind of rhetorically, you think he would do that for me? Proposing fines for deplatforming candidates for elective office allows customers to opt out of content control algorithms, empowering uh, Florida Attorney General to sue for unfair and deceptive trade practices. 
He is joining Christy Noem at the top of the GOP 2024 presidential candidates. And on the Wrong Think update, there are endless references to Orwell's 1984 because his vision in 1948 is spot on in 2021. The Ministry of Truth, make government propaganda into the only truth. Double speak, news speak, wrong think, all ways of describing how Big Brother controlled what could be said, written, or thought. Newsmax host talks over Mike Lindell because Lindell was trying to speak of issues that Big Brother has said cannot be spoken, written, or thought. Patrick Byrne is a brilliant, in-the-room, eyewitness participant in White House election fraud discussions but can't be heard except via his own deepcapture.com website. Deepcapture.com website because Byrne speaks of issues that Big Brother has said cannot be spoken, written, or thought. America's founders understood freedom of speech as critical to a free society. Do Americans of 21 understand that? And finally, impeachment legalities. Uh, Dems are pressing the theory that Trump should be impeached because he's responsible for inciting riots by telling supporters the election was rigged. Dems thereby make the question of whether the election was rigged a material question of fact. In America's judicial system, questions of fact are to be resolved by judge or jury after hearing witnesses and evidence. The De Do the Dems really want Americans to hear what Patrick Byrne and Matthew Brainerd and many others have to say? Dems want the question of election fraud to go away. Their impeachment tactic may do just the opposite. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to America Can We Talk where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear